taking of a seat. Good morning, Mosaic Church. Um, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the lay elders here at Mosaic. If you're with Mosaic Kids, go ahead and head out to the people in the back with the yellow shirts. They are ready for you. Um, today, we're going to continue in our sermon series, Anatomy of the Soul in the Psalms. And as we have the past few summers, we take this opportunity to step away from our current sermon series and investigate what the Lord would have for us in this season. The title, Anatomy of the Soul, comes from John Calvin as he describes the Psalms, covering every element of the human emotion. Oftentimes, we find our summers as an opportunity to slow down, rest, and potentially have more space to dive into our emotional state. And I would imagine this summer is no different given all that we've gone through the last year. Now, I pitched a sermon series name change to the elders, um, mainly because I wanted to get shirts made that said, come get Psalm on the front, but uh, that got shut down, thankfully. Um, I'm not a marketing guy, and thankfully there are other wise men in the room to say, no, Jeff, that's not a good idea. But here we are today, Anatomy of the Soul. I'm excited about it. Today, we're looking at Psalm 4. Psalm 4 is a lament psalm where we find David in the midst of distress approaching God with reverence and trust. His posture and tone suggest that he's been long-suffering in this distress. Now, while the exact context of this distress is unknown, we know from other books, psalms, historical context, that he has clear enemies that he's hiding from or fleeing. And we most likely know this to be his son Absalom, as we see in 2 Samuel 15. The psalm starts with David appealing to the Lord, then it moves to outward instruction, and it ends in a posture of peace and rest. In the psalm, we see David move from distress to joy and from joy to rest. Read with me in Psalm 4. Psalm 4 says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Now, if there's one takeaway from today's short sermon, is I want you to hear this as the main point. Rightly directed trust leads to worshipful rest. Rightly directed trust leads to worshipful rest, or when you put your trust in the right place, you experience this true rest. Now, before we get too far into it, I have a confession, and I'm going to assume some of you have a similar confession, Um, but there'll be times where I find myself scrolling on Facebook or Instagram, um, not on TikTok yet, and for the very reason I'm getting ready to confess, I think I'd like it too much, but anyway, I'll be scrolling through and finding videos that I like, and I'm just a sucker for it. Anything on there, um, I'll just get glued to, so whether it be couples pranking each other, dogs doing silly things, kids saying funny things, fail videos, whatever it is, I'm there for it. But anyway, one day I stumbled across a video where there was a group of friends, they're out and about in different contexts, like a restaurant, coffee shop, amusement park, department store, grocery store, you get it, church, who knows. 
but you can tell by the way they interacted. They were a tight-knit group of friends. The whole stick of the video was, without prior eye contact, announcement, or warning, one of the friends in the group would declare, trust fall, and would immediately fall to the closest person's arms with the hope of being caught. Now, if you don't know what a trust fall is, generally it's a premeditated act where somebody is standing with another person behind them. They fall back with the hope of being caught. Or, as if you've seen in Mean Girls, somebody standing on a table with a giant group of friends behind them getting ready to catch them. Now, in this video, the more ridiculous the setting, the funnier the reaction and subsequent events would be. The unspoken rule between this group of friends was you would stop essentially anything you were doing to catch this friend, um, even if at the cost of dropping your drink or falling over with your friend who was already in the act of falling. Now, I know I'm breaking a rule of explaining a video. It's just one of those things you have to see, but hang with me for a second. So being the analytical person that I am, I began to break down in, uh, what made the series of events successful for this group of friends. When the friend declared trust fall, what gave them the confidence that there would be someone there to catch them? I began to think about some of the people that I trust the most or a group of friends where something like this would fly, and what about those relationships that enabled this kind of trust? One, I noticed that they probably spent a lot of time together. They're just around each other a lot. Two, that they're in close proximity. They're in, within arm's reach to where they can actually be caught or they spent a lot of time together. Three, the capability of being caught, the physical ability. They had arms to catch them. And then four, proven track record of being caught. They have done this time and time again, and as it rolled out in this uh, uh, series of videos, that they were caught over and over again. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I ran into a similar video where people were doing the exact same thing, but with complete strangers. And as you can imagine, the results were drastically different, whether the stranger jumped out of the way looking at them like they were crazy, because they were, or they froze up like a stick and the person falling bounced off them awkwardly and fell to the ground. But in both scenarios, we see the same act of a trust fall with varying levels of security. Trusting in the right things leads to more desirable results. Now, I know this is a ridiculous parallel, but here in the Psalm, David is seeking the Lord in a way that he has seen proven faithfulness. Like the group of friends, David has spent time with the Lord, but in worship and prayer. He has sought the nearness of the Lord and the Lord has proven faithful time and time again. He has a strong, established trust with God's uh, continued proven faithfulness. We see this in his tone as he pleads with God for relief. He even reminds God of God's faithfulness, not that God needs reminding here. David says in the psalm, Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, in a much more eloquent and reverent way, David here is essentially declaring trustful in his distress. He says, answer me when I call, translating to help, I'm falling. O God of my righteousness, he's declaring that God is able to catch him. You have given me relief when I was in distress, saying, you, remember those times you caught me, remember your faithfulness, and be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Please, God, do what I know you are capable of doing. David approaches God knowing that he is faithful and in a way is preaching to himself in his prayer and being reminded of God's character. From here, David, he turns his attention to address his oppressors or other outsiders where he says, O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? 
there are potentially two ways to look at this. Um, he can be referring to his own honor being turned into shame or his oppressor speaking wrongly about David or God himself being David's honor or glory, as it says in other translations. Now, with this explanation, David is making the accusation of seeking after things of this world that are ultimately untrustworthy or temporary when he refers to vain words and seeking after lies. How often do we find ourselves today seeking after vain words and lies or earthly things with limited satisfaction? The, the word vain here implies having no meaning or likelihood of fulfillment. Um, another translation, it even called it false gods. There are plenty of things in this world that bring us joy and satisfaction, and we should look to God as being the provider of those good things. David is not suggesting that we are not to enjoy these gifts from God, but rather turn our attention to the giver of these good gifts. God delights in giving us good things. What is different here is David's appeal is that he is suggesting that momentary joys or circumstantial fulfillment are merely temporary in the presence of God. These good things from God are not the end of our satisfaction and are vain. My pastor, when I first became a believer, put it this way, and it really, really stuck with me, and I I remember it today. He says, when you make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. When you make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Or when you make something that that is good into an idol, it essentially is uh, a bad thing. Or when you seek after vain words and lies with the illusion of it being your ultimate good, you turn it into something that ends on itself and will leave you unsatisfied. In verse 7, he testifies that there is more joy from God when their grain and wine abound. Again, referencing good things like grain and wine in abundance, but the abundance here pales in comparison to the joy we find in God. Similarly, putting our joy and hope in our current circumstance will leave you without joy and without hope when our circumstances change. Real talk here, how does this apply to us today? At the beginning of the pandemic, I put my hope and trust in the end of the 15 days to stop the spread. Now, who remembers that? That seemed like forever, 15 days. It was a good idea, and I still think it was a good idea, but here we are. Um, 15 days felt like, how am I not going to go to a restaurant in two weeks? Um, It just felt like the end of the world. Or when I put my hope and trust in travel restrictions being lifted last summer so I'd be able to go on a trip that we had planned, or when I put my hope and trust in a viable vaccine, or when I put my hope and trust in mask restrictions being lifted, or when I put my hope and trust in things going back to normal, whatever we wanted to find that in. We have seen these things come true, but we are still seeking. These are all good things to seek after, but they become true and we're still seeking. What are we seeking after? My main point is our circumstances are constantly changing. Some of these hopes and desires get fulfilled, and I praise the Lord for that. But do I still praise him when they do not get fulfilled, like the time the 15 days to slow the spread turned into a year? Our circumstances change, but our God does not. He is worthy of our trust. David's situation may be new to him, but our God is not new. He is worthy of our trust. Do we put our trust in the constantly changing world? Or do we trust in an eternal, never-changing God? In David's instruction, he continues to say, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. God does hear our prayers. Praise him for that. 
But what I think David is getting at here is a reminder to us as we approach God that he does hear us and has the ability to answer. He is reminding us that God is not a genie waiting to answer when it's convenient for us. D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says, effective prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquiring blessing. Effective prayer is the fruit of a relationship with God, not a technique for acquiring blessing. God is trustworthy. God hears our prayers, but like the group of friends or David's relationship with God, trust is rooted in things like proximity, in presence, in time spent together, and knowing in the ability to answer those prayers. The psalm continues in prayer as David asks God to lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now this prayer, it reflects one of the greatest benedictions in the Bible in Numbers 6, 24 through 25. It says, or where the Lord provided Moses with a word for Aaron and the people of Israel. This prayer says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this is what David is getting at here when he says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David prays that the people would be present with the Lord, that they would experience the peace of God, and that they would be invited into a similar trust in God. Now may that be true of us here at Mosaic. May we seek the presence of the Lord daily. May we experience his peace, and may we trust in the Lord. We see through time with the Lord, experiencing his presence, and th through seeing God consistently doing what he says he will do, we have the ability to trust in the Lord and not in our current circumstance. Now, there are times when we're called to trust people, our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, our kids, our pastors, but in reality, people are imperfect, and we're going to let you down. Um, what's different here is God is eternal. God is all-knowing and he is ultimately worthy of our trust. It is different than the kind of trust we're called to in our friends. Now, I can't preach a sermon on trust and not read from Proverbs 3, but this is so rich and kind of echoes the reminders that David has given us here. Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths just a reminder of who God is and that he is worthy of our trust. So with this newfound trust or potentially long-established trust, wherever you find yourself, what does this enable us to do? In the Psalm, verse 8, it says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What does this newfound trust or potentially long-established trust enable us to do? It enables us to sleep in peace. Now, that's good news. Um, not just any kind of sleep, but the kind of sleep where you lay down at night, worry-free, knowing that the Lord is in control. The kind of sleep where you wake up fully rested without someone knocking on your door or pulling the covers off you, waiting for their sugary cereal and cartoons in the morning. Great kind of sleep. 
he is on the run here. David has plenty to worry about um, with the worry of not knowing if he's going to wake up alive. He has an appropriate fear that he might get shanked in the middle of the night. He has all the reasons to sleep with one eye open. But instead, he chooses to place his confidence in God in the midst of troubles, which enables this kind of peaceful sleep. Now, I personally can testify that not all sleep is good sleep. Not all sleep is good sleep. Um, Back when Katie and I first got married, we were both working jobs, waiting tables. I was at a very, very, very busy restaurant, and it was a pretty stressful job. So, reminder to you, be nice to your servers, especially after church. Tip them well. Take good care of them. Um, Waiting table is not an easy job. But anyway, after one of those busy shifts, I would get home and just be dog-tired, ready for bed, and I'd go right to sleep. But I would learn that in that sleep, right after a shift, it turned into very stressful sleep. I would still be at work in my dreams, working up a gigantic section, constantly behind, trying to fill waters, trying to cash out checks, trying to bring food out, and it just turned into an endless cycle of perpetually being behind. Um, That would continue throughout the whole night. I'd wake up the next morning more tired than when I went to bed. Now, um, all that said, I would eventually learned that I needed some time after work to kind of get right to where I wouldn't have those kind of dreams. I had to change mindsets. And what I would turn to is watching Netflix or something like that, to, or one of those silly videos that I mentioned before, um, to, to get me in the right place to where I can sleep without those wacky dreams. But I think David here is onto something. I would wind down after one of those shifts by watching Netflix or a mindless video, but before bed... David aligns himself with the realities of who is in control. He acknowledges God's faithfulness and experiences joy before going down for the best kind of sleep possible. Sleep as an act of worship. Who knew that was possible? Sleep as an act of worship, worshiping God as you sleep. This kind of sleep says, God, I trust you. God, you are in control. God, you are sovereign. God, you provide and you love me. Now, A common misconception with rest or sleep is that we must earn it. We do not work so we can get to a place of rest, but we rest so we can enjoy and enter into the work that God is calling us to. Now, we all know Kyle Worley. He is on sabbatical. We know how hard he works for the sake of the gospel, but he did not need to earn the sabbatical. We saw it as an opportunity for Kyle to seek the Lord and further enable the work of the kingdom. He did not need to earn the sabbatical, but we say, saw it as appropriate for him to enter into this time and enter into this rest. The gospel here it says the same thing. We do not work so we can get to a place of experiencing God's presence, God's grace, and his salvation for us. The work has already been done in Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is inviting us into this rest and to find our salvation in him. And from that position, it enables us to do the work of the gospel. Again, that the gospel is inviting us into this rest before it enables us to go out. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't add any additional requirements to that, like prep the kids' lunches, put away the laundry, start the dishwasher, mow the lawn, feed the dogs. Then I will give you rest. His simple instruction is, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Back to the original point. Rightly placed trust leads to this kind of worshipful rest. Rightly placed trust leads to worshipful rest. Who or what are we placing our trust in today? 
Are we placing our trust in something or someone that will enable this kind of rest that we see David enter into? Or are we placing our trust in something that is fleeting and will leave us unsatisfied? Now, as we wrap up, and before we um, partake in the Lord's Supper, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to invite Stephen up here to play behind us, and we're going to enter into a time of reflection and just to seek the Lord in this time. Now, I'm going to invite you to do something different here, um, just to position yourselves in a posture of rest. Anything here is fair game, whatever that looks like for you. If it means laying in the aisle, no one will judge you. I'm inviting you to do that. Or if it means kneeling, sitting back in your chair, just get to a place to where you feel comfortable, where you can just reflect on what the Lord would have for you today. Um, in this time, I invite you to reflect on what are you placing your trust in. Use this time to seek the Lord's presence. Use this time to seek the Lord's voice. What is he saying to you today? Seek the Lord's nearness. And use this time to reflect on God's faithfulness. Where has he proven trustworthy to you? What is holding us back from this kind of worshipful rest? So we rest in the Lord. Stephen's going to play behind us. I'm going to pray and just enter into a posture of rest as uh, we reflect um, after the song. Um, John will come up here and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Pray with me. Father God, um, we are thankful that you are worthy of our trust. We are thankful that you are good, God. God, we are thankful that you provide rest. God, may we seek you today. May we put our trust in you. May we be people who are marked by your kindness, by your generosity as we go out um, after this rest that you've enabled us to enter into. God, you are good. You are worthy of our trust. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.